0: Thank you, Roy. i like to explain that uh, although I was born in California, I only lived there two months. <laughs> I want you all to understand that. The reason I was born there, my parents are from Arkansas and uh, they'd gone out there to make their fortune. And uh, a couple of months after I was born, the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor and they beat it back to Arkansas. I thought uh, they were going to get bombed into California next. So at any rate, I have a, Grateful for the opportunity to be with you tonight, and I uh, always enjoy coming to Graver Road. Look forward to it. I was disappointed. Alan called me yesterday and told me he was going to be down at Wharton, so I wasn't going to get to have an opportunity to be with him uh, and Janet, Janice, but uh, nevertheless, uh, we'll get together some other time. You know, pro- professional athletes are being paid huge salaries. Uh, Mike Trout of the Los Angeles Angels signed a contract for 430 million dollars, and then there's a, a Bryce Harper of the Phillies, 330 million dollars. Manny Machado of the Padres, 300 million dollars. There was a basketball player that turned down 123 million dollars because he thought he was worth more. You know. David wrote in Psalm 1 verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when a man says, I shall not want, I don't to make us sit-up and take notice uh, in this day of discontentment. Everybody, it seems, wants more. Not just star athletes with their huge salaries and uh, egos to match usually, but children want more toys and TV time. Uh, teenagers want more clothes, cars, uh Freedom, popularity, smartphones, owning all kinds of electronics and so forth. Uh, Most of us adults want more possessions and more leisure time. And as we get older, uh, we want better health, and we'd like to have a little more love and loyalty from our children. Not many of us can say consistently with David, I shall not want. We're not a very contented people. No matter uh, how much we may have, you know, it's never just quite uh, enough. There was a woman that was heard to scream on the, standing on the banks of a swollen river. She said, it's my little boy. He's falling into the river. And so there was a man that didn't take any thought for his own safety, and he jumped into the river, and he swam to the child and got him and brought him out to the bank, did CPR, and presented him alive and well to his mother. Now, naturally, he thought he'd at least get a word of appreciation, but well, she just stared at him and said, "Mr., he had a hat." Well, I'm reasonably certain that story's fictitious, <laughs> but probably isn't far from, from representing our spirit of discontentment toward God. No people in history ever had more possessions, more entertainment, more freedom, and on average, better health than we. And yet we complain sometimes that we don't have enough. Lord, where's my hat? Even our advertising stimulates discontentment. And maybe it's because we see so much affluence around us, or maybe our parents pampered us uh, so much that we think uh, that life is supposed to be ideal all the time, no problems. Whatever the cause, generally speaking, We're not a very contented people. Uh, Listen to these admonitions from the Word of God. Jesus was involved here in Luke 3.14, and the soldiers demanded of Him, saying, And what shall we do? And He said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. In Philippians chapter 4, let's back up to verse 11, Paul makes a statement that, I always cringe every time I read it. I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be hungry and to be full, to abound and to suffer need. He writes in 1 Timothy 6, verse 8, And having food and clothing, let us therewith be content. Hebrews 13 verse 5 tells us, let your conversation, your manner of life, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So obviously, uh, God wants his people to be uh, a happy, uh, satisfied community. We shouldn't be restless and, and jealous and always chafing about what we don't have. You know, a shepherd uh, wasn't a very popular person in, in Palestine, but David said that he didn't want because the Lord was his shepherd. Now, a shepherd would cut an identifying mark in the sheep's ear, or maybe he put a brand in that ear to, so he could recognize the sheep as his. Well, the earmark of the Christian ought to be contentment. Others should see, a, at least sense, a spirit of, of satisfaction in us that brands us as belonging to Jesus. You now, Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So I'd like for us to notice some of the benefits provided by the good shepherd in the 23rd Psalm, a very familiar psalm most people can quote. And that should enable us to, to say with David, or at least be able to, I shall not want So first of all uh, let's look at uh, this fact that the, in life the Good Shepherd provides our every need remember Paul writes in Philippians 4:19 my God shall supply all your need you know the Bible often compares uh, human beings with sheep now I was Troy when Troy invited me he said our theme is I'm a sheep. He said, I could talk about anything I wanted to as long as it had to do with sheep. All right. So the Bible often identifies human beings with sheep. Remember Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Well, the truth is, being compared to a sheep is not a very flattering analogy. Sheep are dirty, stupid animals. Now I don't say that on my own. I didn't know that till I till I did a little research here. But in fact, as I mentioned, sheep had such a bad uh, reputation in Palestine that being a shepherd was one of the, considered to be one of the lowest, most despised occupations. A fellow named Philip Keller was a, a sheep herder, or a shepherd, I guess I'd say, a rancher, uh, for nearly a decade. And he wrote a book about that. He, the book's entitled, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. And this is where I found out that sheep aren't the brightest animals around, according to him, and he was a shepherd he, uh, for 10 years. He just relates how stupid sheep are. He says, Let, uh, left to themselves, sheep follow the same trails until they're ruts. Uh, they will graze the same hills until they turn to waste. Uh, sheep pollute their own ground until it becomes corrupt with disease and parasites. Uh, they're stubborn but easily frightened. An entire herd can be stampeded by a jackrabbit. Uh, they require more attention than any other class of livestock. Uh, They just can't take care of themselves. They're almost blind. They can only see about 15 yards ahead. Uh, They have little or or no means of self-defense. Timid, feeble creatures. Their only recourse uh, is to run if there's no shepherd there to guide them uh, and to protect them. Uh, Sheep have no homing instincts. Uh, Dogs, cats, uh, horses, or a bird can find its way home. But a sheep... when he gets lost, is a goner unless somebody comes to rescue it. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the good news for us is the Lord is my shepherd. And as our shepherd, he provides food. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, the psalm tells us. You know, the good shepherd would lead his uh, sheep to uh, lush pastures, uh, they would have plenty to eat; their stomachs would be full. Uh, here then uh, is a picture of a of a sheep that is so completely satisfied with life, so fully contented, that there there isn't the least bit of desire for anything more. He's got everything he wants right there. He's so happy he just lies down in green pastures. Fact is that the Lord has provided each of us with plenty to eat. I doubt that there's any of us. Uh, who um, don't get enough to eat or, or ever go hungry. In fact, we have so much to eat uh, that dieting is a constant discipline or at least a constant uh, topic for, for discussion. We, we'll talk about it. We do not do anything about it. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 and 26, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you should put on. Is not life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air. They, neither reap, they sow not, nor neither reap, nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? He also provides spiritual food. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You know, most of us have more Bibles than we know what to do with. Uh, one of the things that we do in India, you may remember, uh, Alan and Brother Dryer telling you, is we provide Bibles. We try to provide the Bible for everybody that's baptized into Christ. And the truth is that a lot of the people that we baptized are illiterate. They can't read. And people say, well, why would you give them a Bible if they can't read it? I had the occasion to meet a lady one time there in India that could quote chapter after chapter after chapter of the Bible, but she couldn't read. How did she do that? Somebody read it to her, and when they read it to her, she had it. She had that kind of a mind. She just never had the opportunity uh, to go to school uh, like many people there. But not only that, uh, when you give those people a Bible, it's like you've given them a million dollars. They're, they're so proud of it, they think that you've just given them the most wonderful gift imaginable. And they carry that thing around, and to me, uh, when the non-believers see that Bible, there's a, there's a sign that, hey, this person's a Christian, uh, and they have the opportunity to talk to that person. So at any rate, uh, we want people to be involved and. In, eating spiritual food. Uh, we also have access to unlimited sources of uh, on religion in general. I mean, we've got the internet. You can find just about anything you want on that uh, concerning uh, spiritual things. But I fear that we in the United States sometimes take our spiritual food for granted. Uh, I really think we ought to be on our knees, thanking our Heavenly Father daily for our green pastures. And I want you to note, He makes me to lie down. Now, I'm told by Philip Keller again that sheep sometimes have to be made to lie down, forced to lie down. And he says there are four ingredients to make a sheep lie down. Uh, Number one, they have to be fed. Uh, If they're hungry... uh, They're not going to lie down. They're always on their feet looking for another mouthful of forage. Number two, they must be confident. They won't lie down if they're they're fearful. The least suspicion of coyotes, uh, bears, dogs, or any other kind of animal like that, and they're ready to run. Uh, Number three, they must be content. Uh, They won't lie down if they're tormented by ticks or flies. And number four, they must be compatible. Uh, they won't lie down if there's friction in the flock. And friction occurs when uh, there's a battle for the pecking order. I guess one sheep would be the budding order, uh, who, who's the biggest butter in that. And so the shepherd uh, makes them lie down in that uh, he provides the right conditions. He meets their every need. Now, the stupid sheep-like instinct, instinct doesn't want to lie down. Uh, We're seldom content with where we are or what we have. You know, we're kind of hyper-moving in uh, and out, back and forth, uh, missing out many times on the important things of life. And sometimes our shepherd sits us or sleeps us. Uh, He may allow an illness or death in the family to remind us to stop, look, listen, and reevaluate our priorities. Uh, When we're flat on our backs, The only way that we can look is up. Uh, When we're forced to lie down, we learn to be content with what we have. He also provides us with water. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Now, sheep are extremely frightened of swiftly moving water. You know, with their heavy uh, wool overcoats, they're not very good swimmers, and they uh, tend to sink. They get bogged down. And so the sheep knows instinctively that it can't swim, and so it's not it will not drink from swift water. And so the shepherd builds a dam so that the sheep can drink from still waters. God knows our every need. He knows our every weakness, and he leads us to the still waters. Uh, he promises to protect us from temptation. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make also a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God never puts us in situations without giving us the strength uh, to cope. The psalmist in Psalm 32, verses 6 and 7 wrote, Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. And so we're thankful to God that he is our protector. He's the one who takes care of us and provides our our needs. He also provides uh, restoration. He restores my soul. You know, a lost sheep needs a shepherd. Here's what Jesus says about it in Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 and 13. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them uh, goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And it so be that he finds it, Verily I say unto you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety and nine, which did not go astray. And so he puts that lost sheep on his shoulders and he carries it home rejoicing. Another thing that I observed in India, especially when I first started going over there, was shepherds. There are many shepherds in in India, and I've seen them carrying those little lambs on their shoulders, carrying it in their bosom, so to speak. And uh, they had that kind of a relationship. And not only that, but the, the Bible actually just came alive to me. Uh, it's like stepping back into the Bible times. One day we were driving down the road and I saw a man with a, a sack of grain on his shoulder and he was going across the field sowing the seed. The holy sower went forth to sow. And so as I, as I observed those shepherds, It reminded me a lot of these things that uh, Jesus and the psalmist uh, teach us. We've all gone astray into sin, and we really can't recover on our own. Uh, And the more we seem to try to rectify things, the, the more disastrous our circumstances. But the Lord, Jesus Christ, came as the good shepherd. And He came to restore us, but it cost Him His life. My sins were on that cross. My name was on that cross. So was yours. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 of Jesus, who His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed, For ye were as sheep going astray, but now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. He also provides direction. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, a careless shepherd might lead his sheep over a dangerous path where uh, they might fall over a cliff. But on the other hand, A careful shepherd leads the sheep over paths that are safe. He's taking care of his sheep. You know, Satan will lead us uh, into paths that look attractive, exciting. But in the end, they meet disaster. Remember the story of Alice in Wonderland? When Alice in Wonderland uh, came to a fork in the road, she met that old Cheshire cat. And she asked him, uh, well, which way should I go? And he said, well, which way do you want to go? Then Alice said, I don't know. And the cat replied, if you don't know where you're going, then one road is as good as another. And isn't that true? That's why we need a shepherd, a shepherd to, to take us on the right road. If you don't know where you're going in life, It it really doesn't matter which road you take. But if you want to go to heaven, uh, you'd best follow the good shepherd because he alone uh, leads in the paths of righteousness. Secondly, uh, the shepherd protects us even in death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, the fear of death can really disturb our our contentment levels. The writer of Hebrews, again, speaking of Jesus in chapter 2, verse 15, says that he would deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There are indications that the fear of death is holding many people captive today. You know, in in days gone by, death wasn't even discussed in, in polite circles. It was a great unmentionable. We just didn't talk about it. But I think now the opposite's is almost to the extreme. Uh, we have books on death and dying. Uh, in the movies, planes are being shot down and uh, skyscrapers shake, rattle, and roll and, and, and ships sink and monsters are lurking everywhere. And I, I've never played video games, but I understand that there's a lot of killing in those things. But the Bible clearly states that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 26. You know, death is, is Satan's ultimate weapon. And we're not able to face life with contentment until we've confronted our own mortality with confidence. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Do you remember that old song, I Won't Have to Cross Jordan Alone? Some of you younger folks probably never heard of that song. <laughs> it's a wonderful song, and it has. It's, the imagery is that when you cross Jordan into the promised land, it's like crossing over death into, the, into heaven. And we don't have to do that alone. We have the good shepherd to lead us across first grader stood in front of the class to make a speech on on uh, what I want to be when I grow up. When I grow up, I'm going to be a lion tamer. I'm going to have lots and lots of fierce lions. And when I step into the lion's cage, they will roar. And then he paused and thought about a minute what he was saying. And he said, of course, I'll have my mommy with me. You know, we, we, we when we're at a When we stop and think about things, we want some comfort. And when death roars its worst at us, we need not fear. Because we have our shepherd, our savior, our sovereign with us, and his rod and his staff, they comfort us. Now, the rod was a a heavy, thick uh, stick that was used to beat back animals and uh, attackers, And when David wrote this, he may have been thinking about his own rod that he used to kill the lion and the bear uh, when he was shepherding uh, his flock over in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, The staff was a stout stick with a crook on the end. That's what we normally think of, the shepherd's crook. And that was used to snatch the old stupid sheep uh, away from danger. And, And David encourages us to fear no evil in the valley of death because the rod and the staff of the good shepherd are there to conquer the attack of the evil one. And so when we walk up to the very edge of the valley, the Lord provides strength. And then verse 5 says, He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. The shepherd provides some perspective, a home, a meal familiarity of family, a, a secure environment of peace and prote- protection in, in the midst of evil, in the midst of chaos, crime, and, and death. And Lord knows we have enough of that around here, don't we? At least over where I live. We have plenty of all of that. And we can have a sense of security even in the midst of that uh, with our shepherd. At the very moment that the adversary is seeking to do his worst to you in death, God is still preparing a sumptuous feast for you. And what a source of contentment. That's hospice care from the Lord. Spiritual, spiritual hospice. There was a man named Dr. David Stewart who made many trips to Africa on a regular basis. He was a psychiatrist. And several years ago, Dr. Stewart contracted cancer and died. And after his death, his wife found a letter that he had written to his friends on his computer but never mailed. And so she she sent it to those that had known and appreciated her husband. And here's what he had written: He said, My body served me well for 65 years. And now, but now it's out of warranty anyway, so I have no complaints there. My Christian faith was never so important to me as it is now. Every day I live and practice. I feel I'm catching a genuine glimpse of what the love of God means to me and what it can mean to the world. I can say He meets every need, and there is no need for Him to answer every question. We all have questions that uh, we can't find answers to. Well, God doesn't need to answer all our questions. We just need to put our trust in Him that things are going to turn out the way He wants them to turn out. But then thirdly, uh, the good shepherd promises eternal life after the judgment. In verse 5, he says, you anoint my head with oil. Do you remember when the prophet Samuel anointed David to be uh, king? Anointed him with oil in the presence of his brothers. Well, David was just a young man, and it was going to be a good many years before he would actually take, take over the throne. But Samuel anointed David with oil. He was God's anointed king. That's in 1 Samuel 16, verse 13. But between the time of his anointing and the actual taking of the throne, David had a lot of difficulty. His brothers ridiculed him when he went down there before he fought Goliath. They thought, do well, you just came down here to see the battle. We know how, what a bad person you are. Saul tried to kill him a number of times, pin him to the wall with his spear. Uh, Nabal snubbed him, but David lived in spite of that in the promise of the Holy Spirit. When we become Christians, children of God, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a token or a pledge or a guarantee of our inheritance. And we are placed on thrones, reigning with Him as a kingdom of priests, I don't have time to give you all those scriptures, uh, but uh, we know that when we were baptized into Christ, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and so forth. And even so, there may be a few setbacks from time to time, from the time we become Christians, and the day that we live for uh, is soon to come anyway. And Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer with him, we shall also reign with him. And once we understand what God has promised, we should say with David, my cup overflows. Instead of complaining about what we don't have, uh, we should be overwhelmed with God's goodness. You know, one cup, our, our cup of blessing is not just full, it's running over, and we're drinking out of the saucer. My grandpa used to drink out of the saucer. He liked to do that. He'd stir his coffee and slop it around until he got it over the saucer, and he could like that and uh, just burn my grandmother up (laughs) but when our cup runs over uh, we it's a sign of plenty and we have that blessed assurance surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever when we stand before God as faithful saints uh, mercy will find us there you know if God gave us justice we'd be paying a horrendous penalty I hear people say sometimes, well, I just want what I deserve. Well, I don't. If we got what we deserve, we'd be in bad shape. And so, the good shepherd promises eternal life simply because of His goodness and mercy. Uh, One Hebrew scholar points out that the Hebrew word for follow means more than just a casual following. It means more deliberate. It, it simply means to pursue. And that is that goodness and mercy actually pursue me. Now, there was a man who, who wrote a book entitled The Hound of Heaven. And, and it. Uh, a lot of people felt like that was an insult. But his point was that God pursues us just like a bloodhound. And that's the idea in this word. That God actually pursues us, seeks us out, so that we might access His mercy, like a shepherd searching diligently for his lost sheep. Uh, someone compared the uh, our need for God's mercy to a... I got a dumb" husband. I wish I hadn't put that up there. I, I should have put "thoughtless." No, no offense, men. Uh, but anyway, uh, imagine husbands that that you're with a friend at the mall, and all of a sudden you you have a one of those moments oh man I was supposed to pick my wife up at the beauty shop and so you get on your phone and you call the beauty shop and you ask if Sharon's there no she left she's not here anymore and you think oh okay so your friend says well what's wrong he said well I was supposed to pick my wife up about two and a half hours ago and I forgot my in-laws are coming over tonight, and she was fixing up her hair to go make a big uh, special evening. And I'm afraid she had to walk home. So you get back on the phone and, and and call home, and your son answers. Son, is your mother there? Dad, just keep walking. Wherever you are, just keep going. She's home, but she walked all the way. Have you looked outside lately? It's pouring down rain. She walked all the way home in the rain. It started raining about five minutes after she left. What does she look like? Well, you've seen Snookers the dog when she comes in out of the rain. That's what she looks like. Well, goodbye, Dad. I love you. Well, you're in a world of trouble and you know it. You drop off your friend and you're thinking, I hit my head really, really hard and I got amnesia. No, that won't work. Honey, I'm sorry. I'm an idiot and I just forgot. Yeah, that's, that, that's better. I, I've got to admit the truth. So you pull down the, the street toward your house and it looks like something out of the exorcist saying, don't come in here. And just as you pull into the drive, you see your in-laws turn down on the end, to the end of the street. You start thinking, i got to beat them in there to make this right. And then you remember that you promised you'd get home in time to help dust and run the vacuum cleaner. You know your history now and you know what waits inside. So you open the door and you try to assume your most humble expression. You droop your shoulders. You st- but there stands your wife with a soup spoon in one hand and a knife in the other. She has homicide in her eyes and she says 2:30. You promised 2:30. I walked over a mile in these high hills to get home, and it rained the whole way. Where were you? And you simply say, Honey, I'm I'm really sorry, but I just forgot. And she says, Okay, no big deal. You can't believe your ears. Drugs. She's on some kind of drug I don't know about. But she insists, let's not make a big deal over this. I knew you forgot. Let's just forget it. Now guys, what kind of a kiss would you give your wife at that point? A condescending peck on the cheek? Or would you say, honey, before I I kiss you, I want to talk to you about how you've been spending spending money lately. Or, I've noticed that the plants need watering," Or, I want to talk to you about your weight. Even if your mother-in-law was coming in the front door, you'd grab her and you'd give her the biggest old kiss and thank her for being so loving and forgiving and understanding. Well, when we come to worship the Lord, our shepherd, our worship should never be a condescending peck. Just going through the motions. We should see ourselves as as guilty, standing before an all-powerful Jesus who has a sword in his hand, and the power to destroy us, but it, who instead says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He also says, If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, once we understand his love and mercy and grace, we'll respond to his majesty. I love you, and I will obey you. Maybe we don't really think of it very often, but the king is in the audience. He's your savior. He's your shepherd. He's your sovereign. Martin Luther said this 23rd Psalm hinges on the two-letter word, "my." The Lord is my shepherd. And that word assumes the choice has been made. Uh, The good shepherd uh, doesn't force himself on anyone. The adversary does. He's the thief that comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Do you hear his voice? If you'll follow him, He will provide and protect, and you can be content uh, to dwell in his house for the Lord forever.